Hello and welcome to What You've Been Watching, an up-to-the-minute film and TV podcast where your host and leading film critic Roshan Chandi gives you his recommendations for what to watch in the world of TV and film, rounds up the weekly entertainment news and asks guests and listeners the big question, What You've Been Watching? Hello everyone, Roshan Chandi here, and welcome to this week's episode of What You've Been Watching, or should I say, an episode that's two weeks late. <laughs> because I have a confession to make, I've been slacking lately when it comes to the podcasting front. I've not been on top of regularly updating my podcast weekly like I promised, partly because of lack of inspiration, but also I've spent the last week on a very particular project. I did my first interview with someone in the entertainment industry last Wednesday. He's an called Tom Blythe and he's from Nottingham. Well, he's from Nottingham, but he lives in New York. Left Line magazine asked me to interview him for them as he had contacted them to talk about his latest film, Benediction, which is a Terence Davies film. Terence Davies is a national treasure and this film, Benediction, is basically about a romance between the poet Siegfried Sassoon and actor and theatre director Glenn Byam Shaw, who's played by Tom Blythe, who I interviewed. So we did this interview last Wednesday on Zoom. We got on very well. He seems like a really nice guy and I liked how it wasn't too formal. I felt on his level you could say as he's fairly new to the film industry and I'm fairly new to film criticism so I didn't feel starstruck like I would be with big stars like Emma Stone, Ryan Gosling, Gemma Artisan etc. And we had a really good chat partly about Benediction and Terence Davies but also about Tom's past acting roles, such as playing Paul Henreid from Casablanca on stage and starring in his first big screen role as a feral child in Ridley Scott's Robin Hood. I, of course, had to ask the big question, the biggest question of all, which was what it was like to work with Russell Crowe and whether he really is as angry as everyone says he is. <laughs> so that interview is now up on the Left Line website. Feel free to check it out. It's also going to be in issue 133 of Left Line magazine which will be distributed to various supermarkets over the next few weeks, so do look out for it. I'm their featured contributor for the month, too, so I have my picture on one of the first pages, along with a short bio about myself and what I do, which was a real pleasure and ego boost for myself to write. But that's all me, and not really about you, the listener, who's frankly a lot more important than anything I do. Last week, as has become tradition on this show, I pitched to you the big question, the title of this show, in fact, and that's what you've been watching. I asked you to get in touch with me and my podcast email address with anything you like, but particularly to tell me about what you've been watching. And I've had a few responses this week, which made me very happy. I'll start with an email I got fairly on January 18th. This was is from a good friend of mine, George Collier. Hello to George. And it reads something like this. Hi Roshan, hope you're well. Loved your first podcast. I found it very engaging. I think Daniel Kaluuya would make a fantastic doctor, but I think Chris Marshall is my top choice. I rewatched Martin Scorsese's The Irishman the other day and really enjoyed it. I would give the film a 10 out of 10. There are some outstanding performances from De Niro, Pesci, and Pacino. Easily one of the best films of 2019. I highly recommend owning the Criterion Collection Blu ray, which contains a lot of great special features. In TV, I recently 
recently completed my rewatch of the David Tennant Doctor Who specials, and I still think The Waters of Mars is one of the greatest episodes of all time. Director Graham Harper makes the episode feel very cinematic. Throughout the history of the show, he has been proven to be one of the most competent directors. I love how he is able to bring horror and tension onto our screens. I was just wondering if you have a favourite episode of Doctor Who, and could tell me why it's your favourite. Loving your work so far, keep it up. George. Thank you so much, George, for your email. It is much appreciated. I really like the prospect of Daniel Kaluuya as the 14th Doctor. I think it will be a great step for racial diversity. I think The Waters of Mars is deeply flawed, though. That's all I'm going to say. Um, I do love The Irishman. I really enjoyed seeing it together with you at the Broadway cinema in Nottingham. It's definitely one of Martin Scorsese's best films, I think. I don't think I'll be getting it on Blu-ray anytime soon, though, considering I have Netflix. (laughs) In response to your question about my favourite Doctor Who episode, hmm, I think my favourite would have to be the two-part episode from the revived Series 3, Human Nature and the Family of Blood. I really like these episodes because they really humanise the Doctor, which is perhaps unsurprising considering he becomes human in these episodes. But more than that, I think Doctor Who has always been quite an alien franchise for me, to be honest. I never really connected with it emotionally until Russell T Davies took over as showrunner and Christopher Eccleston and David Tennant were the Doctor. I think what David Tennant did in particular was give the Doctor a heart too, considering he's a Time Lord. (laughs) He felt emotion, he felt pain, and he felt love, and he obviously falls in love in these episodes, which lends it a very moving and emotional arc, considering he has to choose between a life with the love of his life or continuing to be a lonely Time Lord traveller. And I love the ending of The Family of Blood, where he punishes the Family of Blood, and we see the real fury of a Time Lord. Really powerful stuff. I hope that answers your question. That's my favourite Doctor Two episodes, Human Nature and the Family of Blood. Later on in the week, I got an email from Henry Bright, who is a regular emailer to this show now, a good friend of mine, and specifically emailed last week about the story of Bradley Walsh being caught in a bidding war between the BBC and ITV, and how the 2021 series of I'm a Celebrity Get Me Out of Here will be held in Wales, again, rather than Australia. He emailed again this week, hello to Henry, telling me more specifically what he's been watching. It goes something like this. Hey, Roshan. This week, I've been really getting back into the American The Office with Steve Carell, which has been released on Netflix. It's really interesting that the characters are so well known for their particular depictions of the characters in The Office, like I was watching an interview with Rain Wilson, who plays Dwight Schrute in the show, and the show was so well accepted that he's only remembered for playing Dwight, not his future roles. Same with John Krasinski, who plays John Halpert. I watched it earlier on this year on DVD, and now I can fall back in love with the show on Netflix whenever I want. Thank you so much for the shout out on the show. All the best for the future, Henry. Well, you're very welcome, Henry. I'm always interested in hearing what you have to say. I I haven't seen the American The Office nor the British version with Ricky Gervais, but I do know what you mean about actors and TV shows being almost better known for playing their characters than themselves as actors in the sense that when you played one character for that long, you end up almost becoming indistinguishable from it and are always associated with them. It's very easy to get typecast and pigeonholed into one sort of role as a result. 
I mean, obviously, John Krasinski, who you mentioned, is, of course, now known for being married to Emily Blunt, so I'm sure he's not complaining. <laughs> I certainly wouldn't be myself, to be honest, <laughs> but that's just me. Anyway, thank you so much for your email. It's great to know what you've been watching and has really given me recommendations for what I should be watching, to be honest. So, thank you. I'll pitch this question again at the end of the episode, but I can't stress enough please do get in touch at my podcast email address about whatever you like, but particularly about what you've been watching. That's at what you've been watching at roshansreviews.co.uk. So that's your responses for the week out of the way. And again, thank you so much for getting in touch, guys. I really look forward to talking and discussing more about what you've been watching next week. So now I'm going to talk about what I've been watching this week and maybe give you some recommendations. The best film of this week that I've been watching is One Night in Miami. It's the directorial debut of acclaimed actress Regina King, who last won a Best Supporting Actress Oscar for If Beale Street Could Talk, and has been garnering awards buzz for this Amazon Prime original. The film is basically what happens when Malcolm X, Muhammad Ali, Jim Brown and Sam Cooke meet in the same room and discuss conversion to Islam, racial politics and Bob Dylan. It's the fictionalised rendezvous between four of the most influential men in black history. The year is 1963 and Cassius Clay, played by Eli Gorey, fights Henry Cooper at Wembley Stadium in London. Smug and overconfident, Clay risks his credibility when he is knocked to the ground by Cooper's surprise punch. In the meantime, soul singer Sam Cooke, played by Leslie Odden Jr., receives a cold, humiliating performance in front of an all-white audience. Meanwhile, NFL player Jim Brown, played by Aldous Hodge, is warmly received by a white family friend named Mr. Carlton, who praises the great Jim Brown. But when Brown offers to move furniture for Carlton, he is subjected to racism with the line, we don't allow N-word in this house. Elsewhere, Malcolm X, played by Kingsley Benadir, comes home from a meeting and discusses plans to leave the Nation of Islam with his wife, Betty. Months later, on February 25th, 1964, the men are all in Miami for Clay's title fight against Sonny Liston. Malcolm meets Clay in a hotel room before the big fight, and the two pray traditional Islamic prayers. The conversation between them reveals that after the fight, Clay will go public with his decision to join the Nation of Islam. On the night of the fight, Hodges Brown is a ringside commentator, while Cook and Malcolm are in the crowd and watch as Clay beats Liston and becomes the world heavyweight champion. After the fight, Malcolm invites the other men into his motel room. The guys are in high spirits, but their hopes of a party are cut short when the teetotaler Malcolm reveals they are the only ones he invited. First thing to say about this movie is that it revels and is choked to the brim in 60s nostalgia. I think the director, Regina King, did a really good job at recreating the spirit of the swinging 60s to the point you could almost imagine this movie being made in that era. And the 60s really was an era of social commentary and justice for black people. I mean, at one point, Malcolm plays Bob Dylan's Blown in the Wind, which is an anti-war classic, and it's really poignant and powerful when he notes why, as he puts it, a white kid from Minnesota can find an audience for social commentary, but black soul singer Sam Cooke cannot. 
I'm sure some people will find all this indulgent and theatrical. Most of it takes place in one hotel room, and I'm pretty sure plenty will object to the simplistic fictionalization of real-life black historical figures, because this meeting between the four men is completely fictional and obviously can't compete with their real-life historical achievements. I think it's a real credit to the director, King, therefore, that the camera angles are what make this movie so cinematic. They spin around characters' faces on rooftops or close up on feet tapping to Sam Cooke's performances. I think across the board the performances are superb. Eli Gorry really fills out that stocky frame as heavyweight champion Muhammad Ali. Aldous Hodge is broad and brawny as the muscular Jim Brown. And Leslie Odom Jr. has such a fantastically soulful voice as Sam Cooke. But the real star who should be getting Ward's attention is the Brit on the block, Kingsley Benadir, who completely steals the show as Malcolm X and is a real talent find. I really found his speech to the other men with the line, our people are literally dying in the street every day. Black people are dying, particularly moving. And it feels coolly contemporary in the wake of the killing of George Floyd and the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement. I totally recommend an Oscar nomination for Kingsley Benadir all around. I think the four great men at the heart of this story have great chemistry and like I said they intersperse talk about conversion to Islam with a metaphorical foreshadowing reference to Marvin Gaye's What's Going On which is made by Hodges Jim Brown I think what I really liked about this movie is that beyond its racial and political undercurrents it's a really great bro movie like I said it's literally an imagining of what would happen when four of the most influential men in black history meet in the same room and discuss like true friends issues ranging from racial politics to Bob Dylan and I think it's the great bro chemistry between the four stars that give this incredibly powerful racial and political commentary its universal appeal that will appeal to everyone regardless of your ethnicity so overall a really solid film I can definitely see this shaping up as a major awards contender particularly for Kingsley Benadir who is just fantastic as Malcolm X and I think we'll be seeing a lot more of him in the future for once an Oscar nomination for this film wouldn't be a wasted one that's One Night in Miami which is available on Amazon Prime now and it's really worth checking out the big news in the entertainment industry this week is that the latest James Bond film, No Time to Die, has been delayed for a third time due to the COVID-19 pandemic. Daniel Craig's swan song to the role of 007 will now come out on October 8th, a full six years since its predecessor, 2015 Spectre, and just short of the six years and four months that separated summer 1989's Licence to Kill and late 1995's Goldeneye, which is currently the longest gap between two Bond films. No Time to Die was originally scheduled for release on April 2nd, 2020, but rising infection rates, death tolls and lockdown measures made this release impossible. It was pushed back to November 12th last year. With infection rates and the death toll continuing to rise, Universal made the decision to further delay the movie to April 2nd, 2021, a whole year since it was originally scheduled to come out. 
The move was responsible for the closure of the UK's largest cinema chain, Cineworld, who closed all 127 of its UK cinemas and 546 of its American movie theatres. Cineworld stated in October that the delays of big-budget releases meant the industry was unviable. The third COVID-related delay of No Time to Die in the past week has therefore come as a further blow to the future multiplexes being held up by big-budget tentpole blockbusters. Sony has simultaneously pushed back Ghostbusters Afterlife, Peter Rabbit 2, Morbius, Uncharted and Cinderella. Meanwhile, Universal has moved Tom Hanks's new movie, Bios, from April to November. With the pandemic showing no sign of slowing down anytime soon, and cinemas remaining closed around the world as a result, I don't doubt a further delay to 2021's other hugely delayed and anticipated release, Marvel's Black Widow, which is scheduled for US cinema release on May 7th, is on the cards. Or is there the other possibility that the film, along with No Time to Die, will skip cinemas altogether and head to a streaming subscription service? You see, cinema has long been under threat from the rise of Netflix, Amazon Prime, Curzon Home Cinema, or whatever. Ever since great auteurs like Martin Scorsese, Bong Joon-ho, and Noah Baumbach started making made-for-Netflix original productions like The Irishman, Okja, and Marriage Story. However, the COVID-19 pandemic has skyrocketed and fast-forwarded the rise of streaming through the simple fact that throughout most of last year, most cinemas around the globe had shut their doors. Naturally, studios are realising they have to adapt to the circumstances that cinemas are not always the most safe places to be in at the moment. Disney certainly seemed to understand this when they dumped two of 2020's biggest tentpoles, Mulan and Soul, onto their own streaming service, Disney+. Meanwhile, Wonder Woman 1984, which received a brief theatrical window last month before being available to rent on multiple streaming platforms, was released simultaneously by Warner Brothers onto HBO Max the same day it received a limited US theatrical release. Warner Brothers also recently announced the gargantuan decision to release its entire 2021 release slate onto HBO Max simultaneously with their theatrical windows. These included The Matrix 4 and Dune. The decision has been hugely controversial and kicked off a fallout with one of Warner Brothers' most bankable filmmakers, Christopher Nolan, who branded the studio's streaming service decision as very, 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 very messy, and HBO Max the worst streaming service. It's been recently reported that Nolan is unlikely to work with Warner Brothers again as a result of the decision, which is a huge loss for the studio if this were true. Even closer to home, The Dig, which stars Rafe Fiennes and Carey Mulligan, was due to be released in select UK cinemas this month. With cinemas currently closed, it went straight to Netflix this Friday just gone. 
With regards to No Time To Die and its release strategy, I'm caught between two opposing sides of the streaming versus cinemas argument. On the one hand, I think it's unlikely this pandemic is going to go away anytime soon, and cinemas are unlikely to reopen anytime soon as a result. Part of me thinks it might be time the studio resigns and makes the new James Bond film available on streaming platforms. I do understand, however, that this could potentially be the death nail for cinemas, as a blockbuster franchise of this scale and scope was widely expected to draw the crowds back to the empty cinema seats. But there is a further danger to delaying this movie in the hope that people will turn up to see it in October. You see, October is eight months away, and cinemas will certainly be hoping to reopen their doors before that. But with a lack of new releases to tempt people back to the seats, many cinemas may simply decide to close their doors, even if the government allows them to open, thanks to a lack of regular releases. I spoke to Tom Blythe, whom I interviewed for Left Lion, and he shared my fears that some cinemas will certainly go under, and there will probably be less movie theatres still running than there were pre-pandemic. He also shared with me my desire for streaming and cinema to find a peaceful relationship where they can coexist side by side amongst each other. I do genuinely believe that if Martin Scorsese can find a way to release his new movie simultaneously in cinemas and on Netflix, other filmmakers have no reason not to do so too and adapt to a world where cinemas may not be the cheapest and safest places to watch movies anymore. The film industry have to realise this and make necessary adjustments to become more accessible to the moviegoers. Perhaps it's this whole American blockbuster tentpole culture that needs to change and multiplexes need to broaden their horizons when it comes to finding releases from corners of the world they would not traditionally look to for releases. Independent cinemas have been thriving for years off the back of international releases, for example. If they don't, it could spell the end of conventional moviegoing as we know it. Competition between streaming and cinemas has never been bigger. So it's that time of the week again, specifically the time where I round up my top five films of the week for your listening pleasure. These are five films that have really captured my attention over the past seven days and my recommendations for you to watch over the next seven days. With cinemas currently closed, as ever, I've stuck rigidly to movies released on home viewing platforms and given you a brief one-sentence summary of why I think they're worth watching. So without further ado, here we go. Here's my top five films of the week. At number five, I've gone for the movie we reviewed this week, One Night in Miami, a great bro movie with a racial and political subcurrent that's available on Amazon Prime. At number four is Wonder Woman 1984, which is available on multiple streaming platforms now. Gal Gadot and Kristen Wiig make a brilliant feminist duo in this 80s-inflected superhero sequel with an optimism we all need in 2021. At number three, it's Possessor, which blends typically Cronenbergian body horror with ideas about cyberstalking and the dangers of technological advancements, an audacious mix of science and schlock from Brandon Cronenberg, 
That's on multiple streaming platforms now. At two, it's David Fincher's Mank, which is an utterly captivating and Oscar-worthy performance from Amanda Seyfried in Fincher's spanking new movie about the making of Citizen Kane. Brilliant stuff on Netflix. And still sticking in there at number one for the third week running, it's of course Soul. Pixar's lovely, jazzy meditation on life, death, and the afterlife. That's my number one film of the week, and that's today's show, A Wrap. There we go, this week's show done and dusted. But I couldn't leave you without asking you the big question, the title of this show, in fact. That's what you've been watching. Please let me know what you've been watching on TV, at the cinemas, if they're open or on streaming services. Whatever it is, let me know at my podcast email address. That's what you've been watching at roshansreviews.co.uk. I'll make sure to read out the best responses on next week's show. Hope you've enjoyed today. I certainly have. This is Roshan Chandy signing out. Thank you so much for listening and happy watching. This podcast's intro and outro music was brought to you by Music for Makers and was their own track, Stop and Go. Thanks for listening and I'll see you again soon.